Um, never ending list. It's a never ending list. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, well, he's gonna find our dragon and like ride it until like whatever. I don't know. I don't even know what's well, going on. Never well, guys, it. welcome back to the top fifty. The top two fifty. Yeah, it's the finale. The top 25. The top 25 today. And how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, Even as I was was collecting these, I was like, wow. There's a lot of box sets in this one. Um, Really? So you're actually going to like present like 50 films? Um, If you're combining, are you just, just movies from box sets, I guess? It's a, I mean, like, I am combining several, so... It's interesting, I yeah. I don't know that it's fully on 50. Actually, it probably is, because of one of them. <laughs> well, I, one, of okay. them is, one of them is an eight-film series, and that will probably... Oh, yeah. Is, but, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that one probably makes up for any of the ones that are just one, so... <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I can honestly say I really love my top 10. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's changed much, but we'll find out. Um, I, mine changed a bit, but it was mostly like, I knocked some down where I was like, I like this film, but I don't love it the same way I used to. Like, it's still like top tier, but it's not top 10 anymore. And then I moved some up. Yeah, I think that was the beauty of this list is like just to see our our growth and where we're at in life too, and just we've seen more films since last time we did this. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot more. All right, Tom. So I'll, I'll let you start. Okay. Start our last episode. Cool. Our f- final. <laughs> our final twenty-five. I know. And then we'll do. Then we'll do an after show. It'll be great. Oh, uh, guys, we're getting an after show. You heard it first yeah. from Tom. Yeah. After show. Okay, so this one actually moved up. Um, originally, I had it uh, at 75, and then at the last minute, I moved it up to 25. Um, so this is the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, Christopher Nolan's trilogy is top-notch. Christian Bale leads an ensemble cast as he battles crime in Gotham City as the Batman. Batman Begins brings drama to Batman's origin. Heath Ledger's performance as a Joker elevates the Dark Knight to an action superhero classic. The Dark Knight Rises is a flawed finale, but still a well-done film. But yeah. So that was the, the first of the box sets. Yeah. Um, number 24 is The Fog, 1980. Pirate ghosts are attacking Antonio Bay on the anniversary of their murders. The modern, the modern citizens do their best to help each other survive and uncover the conspiracy at the founding of their town. John Carpenter directs an ensemble cast. Yeah. Right. I just love how the ghosts look. It is awesome number 23 is that eight film series i mentioned the harry potter series uh daniel radcliffe stars as harry potter a boy wizard sent to wizard school who has to fight wizard hitler lord Voldemort, played by ray fines a mixture of a fixture of my childhood this truly is a wonderful series filled with delightful characters most played to perfection um it's unfortunate the uh stance against trans people that the series creator has taken um ironically i i I don't remember where i got this online but somebody pointed out that the series essentially teaches children to 
rebel against fascism and hatred. And so J.K. Rowling essentially gave her followers the tools needed to rebel against her when she revealed her own prejudices. How do you feel about her doing the remake TV show now? Um, on an artistic level, I don't think you should do another live action series. Um, I think you should just do it animated because I think you can get the tone. I think the main reason to redo it is to be closer to the book. And the only way you're going to do that is if you're doing it as a cartoon, because there's a certain like cartoony sort of humor to some of the stuff. Like in the final battle, McGonagall brings the desks to life and they start attacking people. You can't yeah. do that live action. That's going to look just stupid. Um, but if you did it in a cartoon, it would work. So I think there's a lot of stuff like that. So if they're going to do it, um, I haven't really looked into it because um, I honestly don't want to get excited and yeah. like, support her again. But um, if they're going to do it, do it animated. If you're not going to do it animated, I don't really see a point. I don't think you're going to get lucky again. They got really lucky that the kids grew up, grew into their characters and did a really good job. That's true. They only, they only had one actor die. I mean, like... <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, because uh, Richard Harris, right? Yeah, Richard yeah. Harris. But I mean, like, Maggie Smith could have died. You know, like anybody could have died on that, like in that movie, and then you would have to recast them. And they they, they got so lucky with with their cast. So and I, there's a thing too, like you know, Boyhood is not. It's it starts out great, but then like the kid grows up and he's not that great of an actor. Yeah, exactly. Too. Exactly. Yeah, we we got so lucky that the three of them got better as actors yeah. as they got older. Because um, yeah, it definitely could have gone the other way. So I mean, I just feel like there's so many risks involved with making another live action series that I wouldn't do it. I would yeah. do animated. It's much easier. You're going to be able to be closer to the book, um, and it justifies itself by being in a different format than the previous ones. Um, that being said, any of this is going to benefit JK Rowling, who is already a billionaire who is going after trans people. So like, you know, pick, pick if you want to consume it, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know how I, like, I, I probably am not going to watch it, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, my, my well, you know, the story, I mean, it's already yeah. been done and it's been done relatively well. Right. The movies are, aren't terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they did a good job. I mean, I have my critiques, um, which basically boil down to um, they didn't present some stuff in there that I think is important, or they added stuff that doesn't make any sense to her world, um, and leaves active plot holes. Yeah. But other than that, like it, 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 they did a really good job, everything considered especially since the series was still going when they were making it, you know, like usually you want to wait until the series is over. So you know, what's important. Um, so they end up, they have stuff like, Oh yeah. The, the mirror that Sirius gave Harry in the fifth book. That's not in the movie just shows up <laughs> with no explanation in the seventh movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, great choice. Great slot for Harry Potter. Yeah. And then uh, my number 22 
is part of a box set. Wow, it's a big box. Yeah, it's it's the Hitchcock one. It's my last Hitchcock uh, Psycho, um, Alfred Hitchcock, nineteen sixty. I always forget there's the remake. Um, don't don't watch the remake. Um, Alfred Hitchcock adapts Robert Blatch's novel about a woman played by Janet Lee who steals $10,000 from her work and runs away. She meets her end at the Bates Motel run by Norman Bates, a creeping master work with an unforgettable Bernard Herrmann score. Um, and yeah, I, I gotta, I mean, like, I don't think I, yeah, I mentioned Janet Lee, but I didn't mention, um, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins is fantastic. Um, there's one of those like films that I'm like, yeah, this is basically perfect. Um, I mean, speaking of transphobia, the ending is transphobic. Um, same with um, another slot uh, a little further up. But um, those two were both based on Ed Gein, who was erroneously reported in the newspapers to have been a crossdresser. He was not. The serial killer Ed Gein was not a crossdresser. That was made up. Um, so the transphobia, although it may have, you know, gravitated towards the filmmakers, like the filmmakers might have gravitated towards it because of some transphobia. I would say the newspaper people who reported on Ed Gein had more of it. Um, they're, they're more responsible for that than, than the filmmakers themselves. Um, yeah. Um, number 21 is a twofer. It is The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. These two films tell the story of a child dealing with fallout from the Spanish Civil War. One child makes peace with the ghost of a murdered child, while the other completes a series of tests to enter a fantastical realm, haunting a beautiful companion or uh, haunting a beautiful and beautiful companion pieces from Guillermo del Toro. This is the, uh, the Criterion trilogy. Kronos is in there too. Kronos is in there too. I, I didn't include Kronos because I just don't like it as much. And yeah. also it um just a very different film. I mean, like it's essentially a reworking of the vampire myth for the modern. Um and it's a well done movie, don't get me wrong. I it's just I like the other two better. Yeah. Um and they 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 fit to me. They're both set during the Spanish Civil War, they're both about children. I actually had them as two separate slots that were pretty close together. And then as I was talking about uh, The Devil's Backbone, I was like, this is exactly what I would say about Pan's Labyrinth. So I, I put them together because of that. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Number 20? Oh, wait, no. Yeah, oh. now you go. My turn. Go. 20, yeah. All right. <laughs> You're the best around. Number 25, The Karate Kid. The one that <laughs> yes. started it all. Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita. As Mr. Miyagi, fantastic film, 80s through and through. And yeah, I just I love it. One of the one one of the movies that I always watched when I was a kid. And I am frequently called Danielson. I am. People over the years, you know, people have started calling me Danielson. Should I should I start calling you Danielson? No. <laughs> That's not necessary. <laughs> uh, number 24 is one you covered last week in Glorious Bastards. Nice. The beginning of the alternate history of Quentin Tarantino. 
fantastic film. Um, really elevated his filmmaking after the Kill Bills uh, and Glorious Bastards. And it's just so much depth into it. And Christoph Waltz, this is the one that really made him a star. It's just amazing mm -hmm. performance in here. Not likable at all, but it's, you can't stop watching him. Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt is great as well. And I, I read recently that Adam Sandler was supposed to play the Bear Jew instead of Eli Roth, oh, which would have been a different vibe. That would have been um, real different. <laughs> so, um, I'm kind of glad it was Eli Roth. <laughs> interesting, yeah. It's an in interesting uh, casting. Uh, I mean, he has Mike Myers in the movie to do the briefing. He does, yeah, yeah. I wish forget about that. Um, which is... <laughs> It, it is kind of weird when it, when he shows up, but I'm like, oh, okay, cool. He's so in makeup not? though, so it's you know. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, I didn't even recognize Mike Myers in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, I recognize his voice, but yeah, yeah he's in. Well, now in, I recognize yeah. him, but like when I saw the movie initially and I didn't know it was him, I I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, um, twenty three, Braveheart. Again, fantastic, epic film. Save ten dollars. It looks like on my my. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's expired. <laughs> but uh, Braveheart. I get rid of all the stickers. Epic. Yeah, I don't know if I can. No, yeah. If you if you leave it, then it's stuck on there. It's valid till June 2010, so it's over 13 years ago. <laughs> uh, but Mel Gibson just directs the heck out of this movie. It's uplifting. It's on location, beautiful Scotland. Just a, an epic film that I, I grew up with and was one of the mo early movies that I saw at home. I was allowed to watch, you know, that was R rated. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, it was one of the movies that I was allowed to watch at home. So it, the ending still kind of chokes me up. It's just the whole freedom thing. And yeah, epic, man. And just Mel Gibson is just a master filmmaker. Mm -hmm. All right, number 22, one of my favorite films uh, that Tom Hanks has ever done. Castaway, Robert Zemeckis directs Tom Hanks in this one, this uh, Survivor film. Um, just a beautiful film, and Tom Hanks gained a lot of weight, lost a lot of weight for this role. Helen Hunt's also in here, as well as the girl that uh, he was going to propose to before he got in the plane crash. The plane crash scene is pretty intense. For its time and um just kind of a, a soulful experience really number 21 blade runner the final cut a uh, master house in abstract sci-fi it's almost like a dream um based off the philip k dick novel Rucker Hauer is amazing in here as a, the antagonist to Blade, uh, Paris and Ford's Deckard. Mm -hmm. Visually stunning. A movie that caught on later and finally got its due with the final cut in 2014. So just a wonderful experience. And Rucker Hauer's ending monologue is like, in time, these will, my tears will fall away like tears and rain so it's just kind of 
Vangelis soundtrack is is brilliant. Um, just a great, great film. Yeah. All right, back to you, Tom. Okay. Uh, my number 20 is Moulin Rouge, 2001. Baz Luhrmann brings us back in time to the Paris Club where... Hey, sister, go, sister. Better let your Christian. soul, sister. Uh, it took Sorry. me forever to figure out what I wrote there. Christian Ewan McGregor, a bohemian writer, falls for Satine, Nicole Kidman, who is meant to be the property of the Duke, who plays, who plans the to convert the Moulin Rouge into a theater. Lerman goes crazy with this one, and the jukebox musical songs are fire. Oh, I love it. I can't believe I like that. Ewan McGregor can really sing. He really can. Yeah, he's really good in that. Um, But yeah, I was looking at Christian on my sheet and I was like, what the hell is that? Krista? Krista. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, there's a little N there that you barely see. My own damn writing. Okay. Um, Number 19 is Silence of the Lambs. Clary Starling, Jodie Foster is an FBI trainee sent to interview Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins, a cannibal serial killer in maximum security custody about another serial killer still at large. Jonathan Demme adapts the Thomas Harris novel to the screen to perfection. This film is electrifying. Um, the other transphobic movie here, because um, Han- the uh, Buffalo Bill killer is also based on Ed Gein. Um, they do explain in the novel that he just hates himself and has no true identity. And so he's not actually trans. He just has tried to be a bunch of different things. And this is his current weird obsession that has led him to violence. Um, and this is, I mean, like they, they do go to pains, at least in the novel to clarify that. And they do say that in the movie, but I know that a lot of people probably will come out of this and be like, no, he's just trans. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it is kind of dangerous ground, you know, <laughs> like, um, but it's also one of the best movies ever made. So, you know, like it's on here. <laughs> yeah. And I watched uh, the, the new trailer for true detective season four and Jodie Foster's in that she's the lead. Oh, yeah, nice. I couldn't help, but I couldn't help but think of sounds of the lambs. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really wish she would have come back for Hannibal. I understand why she didn't. Cause the ending is obviously pretty controversial. Um, but, um, I think it would have hit harder if it had been Jodie Foster playing the character as opposed to literally anybody else. I mean, like (laughs) Jillian Moore did good. I'm not saying that it's just Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins had that history together. Chemistry too, man. Yeah. Which is missing from the next film. It, It doesn't hit as hard because it's not her. Um, but, you know, that being said, uh, it's been over 20 years at this point, so can't lament. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, number 18 is the Indiana Jones Trilogy. Um, Rages of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and The Last Crusade are magnificent adventures starring Harrison Ford, written by George Lucas, based on serials of his childhood, directed by Steven Spielberg. It's a very fun movie. Number 17 is... 
Mad Max Fury Road. George Miller returns to the franchise he created and makes far and away its best entry, a high-octane thrill ride, finds Furiosa, Charlize Theron, escaping her oppressive patriarchal dictatorship with her leader's wives, and Max, Tom Hardy, in tow. Essentially a movie-long car chase and just breathtakingly insane. One of the best theatrical experiences, too. Oh my god, yeah. Like I mean the movie's great on home video, don't get me wrong, but it's just far and away better in the theater. Um there's only a handful of movies where I'm like if you can see it in the theater, you definitely should because it's like way better. I mean, like I think there's actually a lot of movies like that, but like that one has probably the highest theater to home video threshold for me. Um Whenever it comes around in theaters, any of these, like the repertory yeah. screenings here, I'm like, I'm going to go uh, just because it's such a big difference, home video versus theater. Yeah. Um, Particularly the sound design for me. It's, yeah, exactly. Because, like, I mean, like, I think Pulp Fiction is a better movie in theaters. It is. Yeah. I remember we went. We went. Yeah. And, you know, we saw it the New Beverly together. We, we'd both seen yeah. the film before. and the, But this time was like, wow, that was a masterpiece we're like oh yeah yeah because like there's moments on home like watching it at home where i feel it drags and then when you're in the theater i don't feel that way um so you know i I feel like there's a lot of movies that are like that but like there is man max three road is like boom 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 it It doesn't doesn't let up yeah um so yeah I i actually got to see that and the road warrior at um the new beverly that was really fun wow yeah um that was the last day of my internship before I started at my current job. Um, I went to the New Beverly and watched those. It was great. Um, so my number 16 is uh, The Green Knight. Wow. David Lowry. Yeah, I love this one. Wow. David Lowry takes the medieval epic poem as a basis to look at horror, bravery, and expectations with the character of Sir Gwaine. Dave Patel. Uh, when the tree-like Green Knight visits Camelot on Christmas, Gwen answers his challenge and must journey to the Green Chapel to let the Green Knight behead him. Surreal and fantastic. I love this movie. Uh-huh. I, I, I think I love it more when, when people stopped talking about it and I was like, the movie's great. <laughs> Some amazing set designs in that movie. Oh, yeah. And now he's doing like Peter Pan. And I'm like, oh, that could be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight, straight Disney Plus. It's I don't know. That's yeah. that's a different podcast. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so disappointing. Like I you know, have Barry yeah. Jenkins who did Moonlight, and he's going to do Lion King two. What? And yeah. Oh God. Oh. You have that's a waste. David that, Lowry I'm... did the Green Knight. He did the. A ghost story, the old the man, old the gun, gun. The, the ghost story. You did these all these great indie films. You know, I mean, to I some extent, you get, I kind of get it. Guess, I mean, like you get you get money, and then if you do a movie like that and it's successful, then you probably get a bigger budget for your next indie movie. So I mean, like you know, I get it. It's a career thing. It's pros and cons, but you know, you always hope that like as a filmmaker, you make a really good movie for each one. And like I kind of look at it for myself. I'm like, if I were asked to direct a movie like that, but like for a, pro- a property that I like cared about, I probably would take it. You know, like just for the experience and the money and 
to see what I could do with it, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I understand why you would do it. Um, but it is a little like, uh, like I, it, it takes like double the length of an indie movie to make and they're usually crap. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the, uh, auteur of the director, the, those guys are both auteurs in my opinion, you know, they have mm -hmm. this unique style and vision, but they're kind of restrained to the studio system at this point, uh, with those yeah. kind of movies. But yeah, I mean, so, but like said, that's, that's just what we're, where we're at. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, because I, I mean, in an earlier era, like they probably would have been tapped to direct something that would end up being really good, you know. Like, so that that's kind of the shame of it is like I wish they were making movies that would have been really awesome. Um, like, I I mean, like yeah. you know, like Coppola getting to direct The Godfather. I mean, like that was a studio production. Like that was a big budget studio production. Um based on a on a novel i mean like right so i don't know i don't know what i'm saying exactly but like yeah it's always a little disappointing when they it is yeah i guess it's more disappointing what hollywood considers the big budget spectacle right now the thing with this peter pan movie that lowry did is like i don't think it's going to go to theaters i think it's just going to disney plus yeah which yeah I don't know. I mean, I'll probably watch it because it's him, but I also didn't watch Dumbo, and I love Tim Burton, so. I didn't see Peace Dragon. I know David Lowry did that one. Oh, he did? Yeah, that's how um, he bet Redford for the old man and the gun. Oh, okay. I mean, that happens, too. I mean, like, David Lynch met Kyle MacLachlan on Dune, which, like, Dune is, like, probably his biggest career misstep. Yeah. Um, David Lynch like, did a Disney film, that one with the tractor person. Like that was actually good though it's I good watched. but it's just so random for him like, i know it's such a weird one because you're like i mean like usually david lynch makes surreal ass horror movies i mean like that's his brand and then like, he just makes this movie about a guy who goes cross country on a tractor I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but I really in a weird way that sounds when you say it when you say it like that when a, a guy that goes cross country on a tractor that sounds like David Lynch kind of quirky, <laughs> like you know in a weird way like it does kind of make sense. Yeah, you know I do understand why he did it. It's kind of like it like it it, it, it does sound like something he would do. Um, it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll get back on so, track. So your, yeah. Your uh, what, what's your um, yeah. My twenty. Yeah. Is the first Die Hard. Bruce Willis stars oh, nice. in Die Hard, Christmas film. I guess it's. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of Christmas references in here, but it's a it, yeah. It's it Christmas Eve. It count. Yeah. Oh, okay. Christmas movie for sure. Uh, John McClane. Christmas party on Christmas Eve, but they are. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Bruce Willis uh, plays John McClane, which would start a franchise, not only start a franchise, but the whole Die Hard model would be part of like these pitches. Like, hey, it's Die Hard on a boat. It's Die Hard in an apartment. You know, you, they had, they had a, it started like his own subgenre mm -hmm. of the action film. Alan, uh, or, uh, oh gosh, what's the guy's name? Um, yeah, Alan Rickman. Yeah, Alan Rickman. It was his first film. First feature film. So he came out of the theater and he pl plays a fantastic villain. Uh, 
Hans is just amazing. The, his delivery of the lines. Um, Bruce Willis, I think, has never been better. Uh, he's really, he really is John McClane, and just a fantastic, fantastic film. Uh, simple premise, but a you know, whole thing is like less is more. Just, just a great all around, uh, spectacular '80s flick. Nineteen is Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler. This movie turned me on the Mickey Rourke. I had to go back and watch the rest of his films after seeing this one. In this powerhouse film, he plays Randy Ram Robinson, who's a down-and-out wrestler who has a terrible relationship with his daughter, abuses himself by going to strip club and drinking and still wrestling in these private, smaller venues and ends up having a heart attack. And becomes he becomes friends with... Uh, one of the strippers named uh, Marissa Tarme, and even she turns on him at some point, and he just dies back into wrestling, even though he's told not to because of the heart attack. And it's just a, a deep, dark character study that Aronofsky likes to do. It seems like these days he brings these these actors out of like these dark places, like Mickey Rourke wasn't doing anything, did like maybe Sin City at the time, and he brought him out of the darkness and did the wrestler. Brendan Fraser recently wasn't doing much, came back with The Whale, directed by Darren Aronofsky. So Aronofsky's kind of doing that thing sometimes where he brings back these known actors, but they come out of like hiatus, I guess. But mm -hmm. The Wrestler is fantastic. I just, I don't know. There's something about it that I really enjoy. All right, 18 is Clint Eastwood's final Western, directed uh, Unforgiven. Fantastic film here starring Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris, Subwell shows up. Um, just a, a great, um, dark, gritty take on the Western genre that I think, you know, it's, I don't know, it's really moving the way that it ends up. And this guy, he doesn't want, kind of rejects his, he rejects his path mm -hmm. and he settles down. Then he's brought out of out of hiding and the search is on and he recruits his old partner, Morgan Freeman, and they go into town and Gene Hackman owns the town, no guns allowed. And Gene Hackman is just fantastic in this movie. So funny and just 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 an evil villain, man. Miss Gene Hackman, he's so good. Um, but yeah, just a great movie. Of course. Uh, number 17 yeah. is As Good As It Gets. This film shouldn't work, but it does work. And I think that's basically mostly due to the writing and Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, and Greg Kinnear's performances here. Um, Nicholson plays a grumpy author who basically hates the world and hates anybody that bothers him. He's isolated himself into his apartment until one day um, Greg Kinnear is an art dealer. He's an artist and he is mugged by some thugs and Nicholson's Melvin Udall has to take in his dog which changes his life, sets his course on this different path. And he starts out as this really unlikable guy who ends up redeeming himself later in the film. And it shouldn't work, but it does work in the writing by and direction by James L. Brooks is fantastic. Helen Hunt as well is great. And she won best actor actress and Nicholson won best actor. It's like one of the rare times that the two leads um, took home the gold. 
All right. And 16, horror classic from John Carpenter, the remake of The Thing. This movie is just so crazy. The practical effects really get me every time. The cast is amazing. Survival epic in the snow. The way that it's it's lit, the suspense, the pacing, it's all there. Just I love it. One of the, one of my one of the early uh, well, I think it was my intro to John Carpenter really. So then I started watching his movies after that. So. Oh yeah. All right. Back to you. All right. Um, my number fifteen is. Um, Frankenstein 1931 and Bride of Frankenstein. Jane Wells adapts the Mary Shelley novel, the most iconic version of the monster played by Boris Karloff. The first film mostly plays it straight. The second one is delightfully campy. Together they create a magnificent Hollywood golden age epic. Yeah, these are, these are fun. Yeah, Boris Karloff, man, just excellent casting. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he was essentially unknown. Um, he has like a bit part before that but um first essentially leading role um i can't even imagine like they wanted bail lugosi i can't even imagine bail lugosi like what what he would have done with it um I'm, I'm glad Karloff got it um although i will say i think bail lugosi is a really talented actor and i would have liked to have seen them like give him more varied roles than he got um yeah. but yeah, whatever. Yeah, typecast. Um, yeah, I mean, they're all dead. Like, what does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> um, number 14 is Jurassic Park. Steven Spielberg adapts Michael Creighton's novel to the screen with stunning grandeur. A group of paleontologists, a mathematician, and a lawyer are invited to tour an in-progress theme park of dinosaurs. Incredible and well done. Uh, just really good movie. Um, number 13 um, The Shining, 1980. Stanley Shining. Kubrick brings <laughs> Stanley Kubrick brings Stephen King's third novel to the screen. Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and their son are caretakers at the isolated Overlook Hotel as it shuts down for the winter. Jack is driven mad by the hotel's ghosts and his own alcoholism. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't group it with Doctor Sleep. I, you know, I did consider it, but I was like. I like The Shining a lot better than I like yeah, Doctor I Sleep. Like, I think I think Doctor Sleep's a good movie. Don't get me wrong, but like The Shining just a lot better. I, yeah, I mean, like yeah. it, it's it's and it just comes down to the story essentially. Like I mean, like I I feel like the the Shining story is really iconic and definitely like needs to exist. And Doctor Sleep is a good story, and I'm glad it exists, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have the same urgency that The Shining had. Um, and probably part of that is just he was actually an alcoholic when he was writing it, and was worried about what he was, what that was going to do to his family. Um, so I mean, like, it's it's urgent because like he needs to self-reflect real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay. Great pick. Yeah. So then my number 12 is the Star Wars original trilogy, the theatrical cuts. So 
Nice. Uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Um, A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, find Luke, Mark Hamill, Leia, Carrie Fisher, and Han Harrison Ford in conflict with Darth Vader, The Apprentice of the Galactic Emperor. Uh, A near-perfect trilogy and incredibly iconic. Um, Like you pointed out, I think um, there's some writing issues with Return of the Jedi. they probably like. I think it could have been slightly better. That being said, the it does complete the arcs with Vader mm-hmm. and Luke very well, um, and that's the heart of the franchise, really. I mean, like, or at least that's where it, where it becomes the heart of the franchise. So, since they wrapped it up, like, well, I I, I include it with the other three. Like, I I think that they did a really good job um, making these three. It's a good trilogy. It really is. I mean, and like, it's really fun watching them all on the same night. Like sometimes May the Fourth, I'll be just like we're just gonna sit down and watch the Star the, the original trilogy. Um, you can't do that with any of the other ones; they're all like way longer. Um, and I do enjoy watching like the prequels, and I like the first two sequel movies um, and whatnot. But like these ones are are just on a different level. It's like a tight uh, two hours each, right? Yeah, exactly. Like they're perfectly paced. Um, even Return of the Jedi, I think, has pretty good pacing, like in comparison to some of the other films. Um, it, it, it is interesting to look at because, like, modern blockbusters have gotten so freaking long, and they're just really like some of them get really boring. Um, I was listening to like uh, I think it was Joe Dante's podcast. They had that trailers from Hell or something, the movies that made us or something like that. Um, yeah. But- he was mentioning that you know, back in the day, they everything shot on film, so you ha- you couldn't waste film. Now you can shoot on digital, and you can you don't have to cut everything. You can actually keep a lot of your footage if it's just shot on digital. And that's so true. He think that's he thinks that's probably why things aren't aren't always under two hours. You know, for big blockbusters, and then a lot. I, I, it seems like the big trend is two and a half, three hours now for these yeah larger movies. I think that's true. I, I think it also comes down to the. I think there's more rewrites than there used to be. Like I, I feel like it's more Frankensteining, yeah, of scripts than there used to be. I mean, like I know that there was always Frankensteining of scripts, like always cobbling together from different drafts. But um, I just feel like that's the norm now. Like going yeah. into a big movie is like that. It's going to be Frankensteined. They don't even try and get it in one the way, like, because no. they used to, like, you know, you tried to have like one or two screenwriters and that was it. And now it's probably going to be five, six screenwriters. Um, or even a lot of the, some of the older films, like, they have like the one shot, you know, you just get it all in one shot and move on, too. Yeah. Like, you know. well, yeah. And, you know, like, from a filmmaking perspective, I think that's always ideal. Like, I mean, like, if you can get, this you want to get the scene in as few shots as possible to also tell it as well as you can um but every time you move the camera and do a new shot that's a new setup that's going to be you know maybe an hour or more of Mm -hmm. lighting um so whenever you can do it in one like do it Uh, i mean like our sets obviously it's it's much easier to relight stuff because we have like we 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 had smaller crews, but as long as you can like block it too and get you know get the story across, I think that's yeah yeah point. exactly. So I mean I don't know, um, but yeah, there, I think there's definitely something to that. Um, and like 
I think Grover Rodriguez was talking about this in uh, his book um, where he was just like, yes, every scene's important, but they don't need like 50 takes, you know, like you just do it. And probably the second or third take is going to do you, you know, like you probably don't need to go beyond that. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Um, except for Kubrick. Kubrick was the exception yeah. to the rule. <laughs> Kubrick was like, fuck that. We're going to do 50 takes for everything. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess it worked for him, but yeah, <laughs> most people don't have the luxuries that, that Kubrick got later in his career. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a tangent. Um, okay. So number 11 for me and then back to you. Um, All right. It was a good tangent, though. Good tangent. It was a good tangent. Yeah, no, I was I'm happy with it. Uh, number eleven is Knives Out and Glass Onion. Glass Onion is still only available to stream on Netflix. If it ever comes out as a physical copy, I'll get it. Um, Ryan Johnson spoofs Agatha Christie with these modern murder mysteries, starring Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc. Silly yet compelling, a love letter to the golden age of mystery. And I just I just love these films. I, I'm really happy with this steelbook. It looks like it's yeah, a book. it's nice looking. I, I literally got um I got this the like British version of this so like I couldn't even play the discs so I had to buy the American version of the discs and switch them out. <laughs> um I mean now I have the 4K the the region fee 4K player yeah. so I probably could have kept it now but at the time I just wanted the steel book so much um that I was willing to essentially buy the movie twice and switch the discs. <laughs> You checked out the Ryan Johnson TV show Poker Face? No, I haven't. It's basically like a modern Columbo, it's like a, a lot of mystery. Every episode is different characters, but the same detective. So it's pretty. It's pretty good. No. Um, Fifteen for me is a, a crime movie directed by James Mangold. Copland, starring Sylvester Stallone, Harvey Gartel, Ray Liotta, and Robert De Niro. Basically, a big uh, crime has happened in which it's exposed a little town that all the New York cops live and they think that they're basically not subject to anything. They're, they can get away with anything they want. They live in the town and um, the sheriff of that town happens to be played by Sylvester Stallone who has always wanted to be part of the New York force but couldn't because of a disability he has problems with his like left ear. And so they take advantage of him. He's always a pushover until something happens and he undercover and he discovers that the missing person is actually alive and leads him down a trail to actually man up and become an actual sheriff and stand up to these cops that are corrupt. And I love it. It's got some classic Western tropes. Uh, James Mangold directs the heck out of it and Stallone different portrayal for him he got you know he got he got fat for this one and does some decent acting in it I, I, just, I just really enjoy it the next one number 14 is Goodwill Hunting great performance here by Rob Williams and Matt Damon Matt Damon co-wrote the script with Ben Affleck and went on to win the Oscar um, Rob Williams also won Best Supporting Actor playing the therapist of Matt Damon 
Matt Damon's basically like this genius guy, but he settles for like being a janitor at a, at a university and solving like these mathematic equations that are on this chalkboard. And the whole there's a whole mystery of like who who solved the equation. It's supposed to be like beyond any none of the students can solve it, but this genius can. Happens to be a janitor. It's also a dick, but you find out later he went through some like traumatic events and stuff uh, through therapy and just great scenes in here by Robin Williams and Matt Damon, just superior acting. Great film. Uh, number thirteen is a remake, Vision of the Body Snatchers. This movie is absolutely fantastic. Dark, um, on the edge of your seat. Donald Sutherland, just amazing in this film. Um, this really grabbed me. It was a recent discovery. I saw it a couple of years ago for the first time. I actually blind bought this, and no, that's not true. I watched it on like one of those, one of Tubi or something, and I was like, okay, I had to buy this. And but the 4K just blew my mind. It's just the picture quality. The restoration is amazing. It's a Awesome science fiction film and that classic ending. Um, number 12 is, is my favorite comic book movie, uh, Logan. Just fantastic movie. Um, basically, the old man Logan storyline, sort of. And Hugh Jackman comes back and James Mangold again. <laughs> Amazing director. But Hugh Jackman's coming back and, and making a proper rated R Wolverine movie set in the future. He's, he's an older, his powers aren't working. His healing abilities kind of fading on him comes across this young girl who has the same powers. He's, you know, she's the, she's the next uh, future of the Wolverine and, and just fantastic dynamic between those two. And he's really fighting for survival. And then you also throw in there, Patrick Stewart, Coming back as Professor X, <laughs> old grumpy X. Um, just an amazing film. Um, it's great. And it comes with like the noir version. I'm not too big a fan of it, but um, no, yeah. It's I not. prefer the color one better. But, yeah, the color one's way better. Um, Logan's great, though. Mm-hmm. And number 11, Alexander Payne directs uh, Sideways. It's a wine movie about these buddies going on a last hurrah before one of them gets married. But the one that was getting married can't seem to stop fooling around. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of dark comedy in this. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church and Paul Giamatti are great together as best friends. Paul Giamatti has so many insecurities and so many problems and probably shouldn't be drinking wine. But he's such a wine expert, such a wino, knows everything about it, takes his trip very seriously, where Thomas Hayden Church wants to bang everybody he meets and um, they end up meeting like an old flame of, of Paul Giamatti's and see where that goes. And then Thomas Hayden church basically gets a girlfriend for a week. And there's this funny scene where she finds out that he's engaged to get married and she throws like her biker helmet at his face and breaks his nose. And then he gets bandaged up and it's just, it's hilarious. It's just some dark quirky comedy but some heartfelt performances, I mean, really touching uh, performances here. Paul Giamatti has never been better. All right. Oh, yeah. We're into our top 10 now. Oh, wow. All right. <sighs> <laughs> yeah.
It'll be good. It'll be good. Okay. Uh, my number 10 is Trick or Treat 2007, a Halloween anthology film from director Michael Dowertree. I love little Sam, the Halloween demon who kills someone with a half-eaten sucker. And each of the stories uh, enchant me every time. Delightfully dark and playful like the holiday itself. Number nine is... The Black Cauldron, wow. Disney's disowned stepchild, is a fantasy adventure about a group of misfits who have to save an or oracular pig from the evil horned king who wants to use the pig to find the Black Cauldron, an ancient artifact that will allow him to create an undead army. Surprisingly dark for an animated Disney film. This was my shit as a kid. <laughs> um... Number eight is Dracula, 1931, with the Philip Glass score. Bela Lugosi stars as Dracula in Todd Browning's adaptation of the stage play by Bram Stoker. Bela is perfect, sensual, and creepy. Philip's Glass score is necessary for me, as the original film has none. The thought audiences wouldn't accept a non-diegetic score. Um, that being said, if you want to listen to the score, it is considered a special feature on here. You have to go into the special features and turn it on. Um, but yeah, um, it, it's like dead silent for some really important moments. Like Dracula versus Van Helsing is dead silent in wow. the original cut of the movie. And so it's like, I mean, you know, I uh, I know some people probably prefer it. Um, but for me, the Philip Glass score, like it makes the film epic in a way that without it, it is kind of slow. Um, so, yeah. But I love this one. It's good to know. Yeah. No, yeah, it's a good it's a good hack. Cause like I know I know some cinephiles who were like, I don't really like the 1931 Dracula. And I always asked them, have you listened to it with score? And they were like, No. And I was like, okay, well go listen to it with the Philip Glass score. Cause that it changes the movie. Yeah. Like um it, it it makes it more hypnotic. Um and you kind of go through it. I, I definitely like whenever I've I, I haven't watched it in years without the score, but uh, whenever I had in the past, I do remember kind of sitting there thinking like, oh, like are we, let's get to stuff because there's like a lot missing of, something. Yeah, and there's a lot of times where like nobody's talking, so like it's just dead silent, like there's nothing happening, which is fine when you have a good score, but when you don't have a score, it's like. Okay, Dracula's yeah. walking down the stairs. <laughs> um, number seven is A Fish Called Wanda. A group of jewel thieves betray each other over their score. A wonderful underrated 80s comedy starring John Cleese, Jimmy Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, and Michael Pollan. It, 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 I just love this movie. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think a lot of people know about this movie, but it's really fucking funny. Um, it gets me every time. Um, Kevin Klein won an Academy Award yeah. for this. He did. Okay. Yeah, it is kind of an underrated gem. Yeah, like I mean, I, I mean, I know you knew about it before I showed before we watched mm -hmm. it together. But like, there's very few people that I know that know about the movie, and I didn't show it to them personally. Yeah. Um. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Number six is Ed Wood, wow. Tim Burton's biopic of the worst director of all time, a goofy and inspiring story about making movies, even if no one thinks they're good. Martin Landau's Bela Lugosi is magnificent. And he also won an Academy Award for his portrayal of Bela yeah. Lugosi. Um, he is fantastic in every scene. <laughs> he really is. I mean, like, he's so perfect. It's like this grumpy old Bela Lugosi. Um, I just love like it's very inspiring as like for like a filmmaker because I mean he made terrible movies they're really bad like I I've, I've seen Plan Nine from Outer Space I haven't seen some of the other ones I, I watched uh, a couple other ones I think but um like they're bad movies you know like they're yeah. they're not good like he doesn't even seem to understand the techniques of the craft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But there's, there's, it's just like, oh well, if he can make his like terrible movies, like we can make ours. Like, but he was, not? he was determined, you know. Yeah, um, and yeah, so you get like the whole old Hollywood flavor, and the, 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 this one really has an ensemble. I mean, like, yeah. I haven't even mentioned Sarah Jessica Parker and Bill Murray. I mean, but like, they're awesome. Um, Patricia Arquette, I forgot she was in it. She's great though. Oh, and then the the pedophile who's in a bunch yeah. of Tim movies. Um, that guy. <laughs> I didn't know that until recently, and then like, um, my roommate, my roommate Ian told me, and I was like, "Oh, that's probably why he disappeared." Right. I yeah. knew it because I was like, "This guy's been a ton of stuff in the '90s. What happened to this guy?" Yeah. Like, did he die? And I looked it up on. I was like, "Nope, nope." <laughs> yeah. All right, heading into the top 10, my number 10 is Charlie Chaplin's City Lights. Ooh. I mean, it's fantastic, uh, highly romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the final silent films that Chaplin did, and there's a little bit of sound in it, but it's just a classic romance, and yeah, he uses his tramp uh, character, and it's just a Oh, it's amazing the way that you can tell stories visually, especially the the way that it ends. It just it leaves you with a smile. Number nine, a little change in pace. Uh, Scarface, the remake from Brian De Palma. This movie grew on me over the years. I thought it was very long and boring when I first saw it, but whoa, this is a crime comedy. This is hilarious. This is over the top in the best way. Tour de Force here by Brian De Palma. Amazing score, soundtrack. It's just, it's basically Grand Theft Auto, the movie. (laughs) The game basically got major inspiration from Scarface. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Big time. Uh, Number eight is Tarantino's. Jackie Brown, his adaptation of the Elmore novel, novel uh, Rum Punch, stars uh, Pam Greer. And it's a tribute to black exploitation films and just an amazing like crime heist film. Robert Forrester steals every scene that he's in. I really went on a deep Robert Forrester kick after watching this. I knew of him, but this movie sold me on him as like just a leading man. It's just like, Amazing chemistry between Greer and Forrester. Throw in De Niro as a stoner playing off type. 
just amazing. And then Samuel Jackson is brilliant as Ordell. Mm-hmm. Bridget Fonda is great too as a surfer girl. Number seven, Michael Mann. He's back with it. Uh, another De Niro Pacino in Heat. This is a fantastic crime film. One that I really enjoyed on first watch, probably about 20 years ago, and then didn't watch it for like 10 years and then came back to it. And it's like, wow, this movie is just fantastic. The way that he's built the two characters, uh, Pacino's character and De Niro's character, they don't even share the screen until the middle of the movie. And it is earned. That whole coffee scene is just amazing. And then the final showdown at the end where these guys have this understanding where Pacino is a detective who is set in his ways. He's going to hunt these bad guys. And De Niro is like a professional thief. But they find like this common ground. They have sort of like this weird bond that throughout the film, you can kind of see where they're like, kind of like, they see where they're coming from, from opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And it's just this unique take. And at the end, it's just oh, it's so satisfying and just amazing score. Cinematography, Michael Mann's infused all of his crime films with, you know, starting with Manhunter. And then once, what well, I'll get to later, it's just, oh man, it's just amazing. Amazing film. Uh, yeah, my last number six, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh. The first one in the Ian Jones franchise. We talked about pacing. This movie flies by. And it originally came up with an idea. George and, and Steven were on a trip. Uh, together on vacation and Spielberg was like, I want to direct James Bond. George Lucas goes, well, I got something better than James Bond. It's Indiana Jones. And so they made it together and yeah, it started the franchise. Just amazing popcorn flick, um, classic. Uh, you know, the, I can see the, the boulder coming down. The intro of this film is just amazing going through and getting the idol there's some funny moments you know, with the guy with the sword, and Indy just shoots him. Um, Harrison Ford is this is probably his signature role. I know Han Solo's up there too, but Indiana Jones is the one that seems like he really enjoys doing. And it's just it's a tribute to those old 50s serials that used to show in front of, in front of movies. And it just it never ends. I mean, it's, it's it just doesn't let up. The pacing is just so well done. And, and then John Williams. Again, the great John Williams, his that theme, the Indiana Jones theme is just it really it's an epic, perfect movie. So yeah. that was my number six. Oh yeah. All right, it's heading to your top five. Yep. Last. I have no idea what these are gonna be, so <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think I'll be surprised by some of them, but um <laughs> Okay, my number five is Donnie Darko, the theatrical cut. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is Donnie, a troubled teen who escapes death from a plane engine that lands in his bedroom thanks to the machinations of a man in a rabbit suit that appears in Donnie's visions. Bizarre and hallucinary, a time capsule of teen angst, an excellently done film by Richard Kelly. The director's cut adds excerpts from Roberto Sparrow's time travel book that aren't necessary and changes all the songs from the theatrical cut which were just perfect. So ultimately the theatrical cut is better. Um, actually the um, arrow um, 4k of the theatrical cut, they did it at the wrong frame rate, some of it. So actually like this version that I have, um, it's a little jittery, but they were going to replace the disc for me. 
So, um, yeah, I guess be aware of that if you uh, happen to buy it. Yeah. Um, make like definitely watch it right away and like see if it looks a little weird. I still have the uh, Blu-ray steelbook from Arrow. You know, I probably would. Just I might not it. upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Like okay. unless like you're a mega fan like I am, I, I, I like I, I really wanted the booklet. Honestly, like I wanted to read all their essays. Oh wow, yeah. Um, and it's a big booklet. Like, Looks they, like they, they have a lot to say. I almost thought it was going to have like excerpts from Roberto Sparrow's time travel book in here, and they don't. It's all essays. Um, they, there's a lot. They have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really glad that I got it for the essays. Um, and I'm very happy that they're going to replace the disc because, like, if 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 the frame rate issue had been with the director's cut, I never would have noticed. But. Uh, Oh yeah, that's that was the big deal when that came out. Yeah, did you just yeah. get that? Yeah, I got it oh, like okay. um, a little bit ago. Um, uh, they they said that the deep red the um, the 4K with the booklet was going out of print. So I was like, well, I'm gonna get that, and I'm just gonna get Donnie Darko because that one came out around the same time. So that one's probably mm -hmm. next. Um, so yeah, but so I'm happy to get this. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was number five. Uh, number four is Scream, 1996. In the days leading up to the anniversary of her mother's murder, Sydney, Sydney Prescott. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sydney, Sydney Prescott, Nip Campbell, and her classmates are stalked by a masked killer. The postmodern slasher movie Scream changed the landscape of horror. The original, written by Kevin Williamson and directed by Wes Craven, remains a masterpiece. Um, I did consider doing the Scream trilogy. I also considered doing the entire series in this slot, but ultimately, I, this film I like better than any of the yeah. sequels by a mile. So I do. Too. I, I put it on its own. Um, that being said, I do think the original trilogy like works really well as a character arc for Sydney. Um, I think the ones after that are still really fun, um, but but this one is just the best. Yeah. Um, it's really good. I love that movie. Number three might be a bit of a surprise. Number three is Yellow Submarine. Uh, the Beatles no, movie. No, it's not a surprise because it's totally you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm wearing a Beatles shirt right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Beatles movie that the Beatles had very little to do with, an animated undersea adventure that follows Captain Fred as he escapes Pepperland aboard the Yellow Submarine during a Blue Meanie attack. He goes to Liverpool to fetch the Beatles to aid in the rebellion against the Blue Meanies. I watched this on repeat as a kid. Mom wouldn't let me bring it to kindergarten because of the drug references. Um, <laughs> there's, there's also a Nazi joke that I didn't get as a child. But um, <laughs> yeah. do you know what the Nazi joke is? No. I can tell you. Okay, so um, <laughs> the Blue Meanies have lost and are retreating and the lead blue meanie is frantically like banging the ground and like kicking their feet um like wondering what is going to happen and they say um where are we going to go max and little max answers argentina question mark which is referencing that a bunch of the nazis escaped argentina um after the war um <laughs> So yeah, there's the Nazi joke right. in Yellow Submarine. Um, <laughs> when I finally heard that, I was like, "Oh, that, that was kind of a dark one." 
Okay. Um, number two is the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions. Interested with a magic ring that turns out to be the most powerful weapon of the Dark Lord Sauron, Frodo the Hobbit must travel across Middle-earth to destroy the ring in the fires of Mount Doom. An epic quest brilliantly brought to the screen by Peter Jackson and company. Perfect casting, brilliant performances, wonderful scores by Howard Shore, um, groundbreaking special effects that still mostly hold up 20 years later. These movies have made me want to make movies. I couldn't even fathom how they did it. And that's still kind of the case. I have watched some of the commentaries and like heard how they like did certain stuff, but I mostly don't watch the commentaries because I don't want to know how they did it. Like it's so yeah. so immersive every time. Face with um, mystery. Yeah, but yeah. So um, love these. I do prefer the extended editions, um, mostly because there's like a lot of the scenes aren't quite strictly speaking necessary and do slow down the pace of the movie. But then there's stuff, especially in the third one, where you're like, I can't even believe this isn't in the theatrical cut. Like, the death of Saruman. The death of Saruman, like, I can't believe that wasn't in the movie. Um, or Gandalf versus the King of the Ring Wraiths. Um, or the Mouth of Sauron sequence. And there, and so, like, uh, and then in, like, the Two Towers, they have the flashback scene that, like, really highlights um, Faramir's relationship with his father and Boromir. So, like, just overall, the extended editions are better mm -hmm. watches for the characters, for um, some of the scenes that they couldn't make it into the theatrical film. Um, so the pacing is better on the theatrical films. I won't lie there, but, like, I love the scenes that they added back in. So... For me, those are the, the preference. Yeah. Um, and I just love this little like set. It's so pretty. It's like a little book, and then you like open it. Ah, it's great. <laughs> okay. And then my number one um, has not changed since last time. It is Clue. Um, a group of strangers brought to an isolated mansion to expose a blackmailer. The blackmailer ends up dead. Who did it? Where? And with what? What starts off as a subtle spoof of murder mysteries becomes a laugh-out-loud riot by the end. A fantastic cast, a great script. I love the three endings. I was going to remake this movie shot for shot in grade school. I think I have the film <laughs> memorized. It's my favorite movie of all time. I would love to have seen that. Honestly, I, I do kind of wish that I did it just for, like, be able to look back at it. But, yeah, we never we never actually shot it. Like, the first, I, I cast it. Uh, I cast it with all my friends and neighbors and cousins and got them to come over and watch the movie as far as we got i never actually did anything more but um we did used to have um i used to have a halloween party which is obviously the subject of halloween party but um that involved um a clue game so like you were going room to room trying to figure out who the murderer was mm -hmm. um and um yeah, so I mean, it was, and then we always watched it. Like it was kind of a staple. And then we play the game. Uh, I got a lot of my cousins into Clue. Um, I don't think they would have seen the movie without me. So, <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I mean, those final ten, I mean, they're, they're totally you, man. I can totally see yeah. the inspirations. No, knowing you, and it's just like I, I totally see it. So, great list. Hell yeah! Well, I'm excited for your top five now. All right, here we go. Number five, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, this is a yeah. fantastic 
Western by Sergio Leone, my favorite Western. Just watched it last month again on this uh, beautiful 4K. Just really moving. Just the theatrical. I watched the theatrical. I didn't watch the extended, uh, but the theatrical one really just really is really great. I like I like both. I mean, you have the Civil War stuff more so in the extended, and um, but just so good. And Eli Wallach, he's as a uh, Tuco. He really is the heart of this movie. As much as Clint Eastwood's Man of No Name is great. And and Van Cleef as as the bad guy, it's really Tuco. He's so outrageous and so fun, and keeps the whole plot moving and with his weird decisions and the, the, <laughs> the different uh, scenarios that he gets tied in with. And then it becomes like a a buddy film at one point with him and Clint Eastwood in the mm-hmm. desert, and then they cross each other again, and then the fantastic showdown at the end. He's a master in editing and pacing and, and, and film score. It's really everything that cinema is, is that last 20 minutes with the showdown, with the music, Mar- Marconi's music score, the, the cuts between the eyes, and that's just fantastic. Love it. Number four was my first rated R movie in theaters. My dad took me out of middle school to go see this one, Gladiator. Fantastic film. Um, I want. I mean, as soon as I left the theater, I wanted to be Maximus, and even like cut my hair like him and talk to myself in the mirror. And I'm Maximus Decimus Meridius, father, father to husband. But I'm not. I wasn't a father. I was like 13 years old. I'm still not a father. But uh, it's <laughs> just amazing film by Ridley Scott. Walking Phoenix. Hated his character so much, but. What performance, man. He's just all in. And Oliver Reed, man, just his last movie. And you know, he died on the set or during production. Not, on, not I don't think it was on the set, but during production. As Proximo is just power, you know, strength and honor, shadow and dust, and just fantastic score again. Just an overall great movie. Not historically accurate accurate at all, but I love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's entertaining. Yeah. Um, number three is Michael Mann's Thief, starring James Caan as a thief. Fantastic score here by Tangerine Dream. You can see a recurring theme with me is it's got to have a great score. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, beautiful cinematography, gritty Chicago shot. Um, Robert Prosky, his first film, he plays the gangster, the old guy gangster. Just amazing um, portrayal. Um, James Conn ends up striking a deal with him, and he's double-crossed and leads to this fantastic, basically, I'm going to take everybody down ending. I love it. Love this nice little revenge tale. And I love that the use of, like, practical with like the break-ins and stuff, it all seemed like it was like well-researched as far as like mm-hmm. the actual like diamond thieving and, and all the, the different uh, tactics that these this group of criminals have. It seemed like it was very well-researched and Michael Mann is really good with details. It's just a, a great movie. 
Our next one is basically a film course for me. Uh, number two is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This movie made me want to go back and watch it again and again and again and again. Wasn't sure what to expect going into it because there's a lot of hype over like the whole Charles Manson thing. And Manson's only in it for one scene, but he's in it through the whole movie. Like you feel his presence mm-hmm. in that whole the history, the history behind it, and what happened to Sharon Tate and the Manson murders and all that—you you feel that weight when you watch it, especially if you know the history behind it. I wasn't fully aware of that, and I still felt it. Um, so I went, but I went back and like researched it all. I was like, "Oh man, this is crazy." Um, but yeah, with Tarantino here—he's—he's he's really combined every movie that he's made up to this point into one film, and added like this more mature. Yet I say, like, well-rounded class type of filmmaking with the pacing, the restraint, and the attention to detail. I mean, they shut down, like, Hollywood Boulevard and transformed it back mm-hmm. into the 60s. It's just it's unheard of. And it works. And we're following these fictional characters. Rick Dalton's not a real actor. But he's very real to me now. Like I, you know, he's DiCaprio plays him so well, and and then like his buddy Cliff Booth, the stuntman who may or may not have killed his wife. He totally killed his wife. I I read the book. Um, there's a whole chapter on, on how he did it. <laughs> so, but uh, if they had done that in the movie, it would have been so grotesque, and I don't know, just would have been. It would have. You probably would have made it work, but it just would have been crazy. But anyway, Brad Pitt is amazing as Cliff Booth. And just a crazy ensemble. It's very, very much. Um, I mean, the, the whole scene with the Spawn Ranch, now that I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm like, you can totally see the influence of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the Spawn Ranch scenes. Um, just a, amazing. It made me go back and rewatch. And then, you can't forget the dog. Brandy the dog is amazing. Too. And, and, um, <laughs> Great uh, soundtrack too, as well. I have the I have the vinyl, um, but yeah, it's my favorite Tarantino movie. That that was a hard decision between Jackie Brown and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But it, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood informed me of these other films, like The Great Escape, all the McQueen stuff. I'm back and I had like a McQueen kick. Went back and watched his films. Sharon Tate. I went back and watched you know what was limited to her films and the you know the vampire one she did with Polanski is not bad. You know it's just. You know, it's 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 a sad story, but it leaves us the the way that Tarantino changes history in this one. It kind of for for as as sad as the story was, it kind of gives us like this bittersweet nostalgia feel at the end. The way it's kind of like a kind of leaves us on a high of what could have happened, what could have been. Like, mm-hmm. does Rick Dalton star with Sharon Tate in a movie in the future? You know, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it would have been great, but. uh yeah. So, anyways, all right. Number one hasn't changed. Uh, it's still very much uh, inspiration of why I wanted to be a filmmaker. It's an underdog story on screen and off screen. Sylvester Stallone was a um, struggling actor, decided to write his own script, make his own way. It was inspired by a real boxing match, but it's so much more than a boxing movie. And that is talking about Rocky, um, the very first movie. Very low budget, made for a million dollars, went on to be 
a sensation, started the uh, a whole franchise. I mean, it's still going, I guess, and made another Creed movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's just so impactful and so inspirational and like pursuing your dreams, uh, living it out and making your own way. And, and like he could have sold out, he could have sold the script for like 300,000. He said, no, I want to be in it because nobody wanted to cast him in it because he talked weird and it just didn't, he didn't think it was going to work, but it, it totally worked. He bet on himself and it paid off. And that story to me is just so inspirational. And I've kind of carried that with me. Like every, whenever I get filled down, I'm like, I put Rocky in. I'm like, oh yeah, amazing, amazing film. Burgess Meredith plays Mickey, uh, the trainer. Burt Young plays uh, Rocky's friend, sort of. Paulie's kind of a scumbag, but introduces him to his wife, Adrian, played by Talia Shire. She's fantastic in the film. And it, it just works. And Bill Conti, again, great soundtrack, great score. Mm-hmm. Fantastic film. Uh, it was one of the films that, you know, 70s was littered with many movies that had like these downers, down endings, depressing endings or sad, sad endings. And Rocky, you know, we have a lot of happy endings now, but Rocky stood out because of the happy ending. You know, he didn't win the fight, but he still went out and did what he accomplished, went the distance. And mm-hmm. it's a love story. So that's my list. Uh, yeah. That's our list. Yeah. What a journey, man. 10 oh, episodes. Yeah. Um, we'll be back for an after show. Yeah, we'll that's going to be over. Fun. We'll compare our list and we will go into it and then uh, give insight. And uh, Tom, thanks again. I want you to thank you again for bringing this up again and convincing me to do this. I'm still going to do that. This was really fun. It was painful. <laughs> not the recording but like the list making was sort of oh yeah it was like tactic. really and, uh, yeah um but yeah it's been great and uh thanks everybody for watching and um leave some comments below let you know your thoughts on the whole list the whole show in general what you thought of the films what you didn't like what you, what you did like uh yeah let us know and tom thanks again and uh Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Take it easy. Peace out. Peace out.